Welcome to The Body Nerd Show. I'm your host, Alexandra Ellis, and after a decade in the fitness industry, I've finally cracked the code on how you can build sustainable strength without getting hurt. I'm a coach, writer, yogi, kettlebell devotee, lover of lifting heavy things, and 100% a body nerd. So stick with me, and I'll teach you how to make body maintenance and movement mastery a fundamental part of your wellness routine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 76 of The Body Nerd Show. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with a dear friend and we are sharing all things meditation, including the difference between mindfulness and meditation, if meditating with your eyes open is a thing, and how to tell if you're doing it right. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is not what you think. So Dawn Mauricio is our guest today, and she's been practicing and studying Vipassana meditation since 2005. We met at a yoga teacher training back in 2014, and she has always been my go-to person for all things meditation and mindfulness. Now, when you think meditation, and maybe I'm just the only one, But I always had this concept that, you know, anyone who is super into meditation and like, you know, silent retreats and all of that would be like kind of odd. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And Dawn is not only super down to earth because, of course, meditation, but she's also really, really, really super sweet and super cool and funny and awesome. And I'm not saying that if you meditate, you can't also be those things. But hey, I had some assumptions. Okay, Dawn is awesome. You are going to love her, too. And she just wrote a new book that, of course, the minute I saw this come up on social media, I went ahead and pre-ordered it. And when it came, I started reading it right away. We talk more about her book in the interview, and I'll link to it in the description as well. It's called Mindfulness Meditation for Beginners, 50 Meditations to Practice Awareness, Acceptance, and Peace. I'm going to tell you right now, the first like one third of the book, which goes into meditation and how to do it, blew my mind. And this is coming from somebody who does meditate occasionally but who also practices mindfulness as often as possible. So if you are even toying with the idea of starting a meditation practice, you absolutely should, by the way, grab her book, listen to today's interview, and be inspired to be a little bit more mindful. So Dawn practices and studies insight meditation, and she regularly sits for long intensive meditation retreats all over the world, Canada, the US, Thailand, Burma, South Africa. She's a value and purpose-oriented teacher with a passion for inclusivity, particularly how societal conditioning hinders diversity, equity, and inclusion in both inexplicit and explicit ways. So we talk a little bit more too about racism and the hustle culture and all of that. So enjoy Don Mauricio. So you're saying 2015, that's when I sent you protein bars. Yeah. So it was in the fall of 2016 where I did my first, what we often shorthand call a long retreat, which was 12 weeks long of intensive, silent meditation. Oh my gosh. Now, okay. Whenever I sit quietly and not even like sit quietly, like let's say my husband's out of town. This sounds so ridiculous. He's out of town for a weekend. I haven't talked to as many people. Like I physically feel weird when I don't speak. So what is like, how many days in this silent meditation like, what is that like? It feeling weird is a great description. <laughs> a bit, and I think one thing, especially when I was on that 12 week retreat, I had a mission in mind and it was to get enlightened. 
and mm. not realizing how hard that actually is. And so I remember looking at the calendar maybe with two weeks of the retreat left. So two and a half months have passed. And I noticed that my mind was still really busy and really agitated. And so that just was such a humbling experience because I didn't realize that we have all these ideas of what meditation should be like and what it's supposed to do to our minds or our bodies or whatnot. And that's not necessarily always true. And Mm -hmm. so I think the biggest learning I got when I realized that was that it's not meditation doesn't mean that practice needs to be a certain way. It's about the quality of presence we bring regardless of what's arising. So right then my mind was really agitated after two and a half months of intensive practice. And could I be kind to myself and my mind because it was just doing what it's conditioned to do, which is think and be busy. Mm-hmm. Well, and for anyone listening, because I know what we'll dial it back for the beginners, but I think even just knowing that, that even after, you know, months of silent meditation and doing like the most at meditation, <laughs> that there is no point in which your mind is an empty vessel. So yeah. whether you're sitting for like five minutes or 15 minutes, or it's your first time or your 500th time, like there's no perfectionism when it comes to mindfulness meditation, like that doesn't exist, would you say? Exactly. And I think there are times where the mind can feel quite calm and spacious. But I think what I was misled to believe just based on my own interpretations of things was that it was a state to get to. And that when I got to that state, it would stay or it would be like this new (laughs) life or this new world. But Mm -hmm. I certainly felt moments of quietness and tranquility but I, they just didn't last as long as I had hoped they would. Or at first I would measure my self-worth against how calm or not calm my mind was. And then I realized mm-hmm. that actually the mind just does what it does and that I was not a bad or a wrong person for it. And so mm-hmm. to go back to what you said about just like for this to be digestible for beginners, I think one of the biggest obstacles beginners or misinterpretations of the practice that beginners have is that the mind is supposed to be quiet most of the Mm -hmm. time. And then that's the goal. And I think when people sit and they actually feel as if their thoughts are louder, which is normal because we remove distractions, Mm -hmm. then they think, oh, this this can't possibly be for me because the mind is about being calm and mine is really wild right now. And so I'll give up on this practice. Mm -hmm. That was one of the most powerful things in your book, which I'll link into the description, but mindfulness meditation for beginners, just like this is what you said, just like life, your individual meditation practice will change. And when it does, it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It's simply what your practice looks like right now. Mm -hmm. And as a perfectionist, as an overachiever, like (laughs) I was like, oh, like I just felt such relief in knowing that exactly like you're saying, there's not like, you don't reach a point where you're like, cool, I'm here. I'm done. I don't have to do anything more. It's, it's a practice an experience, a journey. Yeah. And also I think people conflate as well that it's about being peaceful, but that's not (laughs) always the case either. And so the way that I sometimes talk about practice is as if we're cleaning this long forgotten window in our home. And so once we were like, oh my gosh, yeah, this window in the storage room, I should clean it. And so we start cleaning it, but then sometimes it's like thick layers of dust or dirt come up and we cough and it's unpleasant. 
that's normal to feel the opposite emotions in, in practice than we're, that we're trying to cultivate because this is considered also like a purification practice. But eventually, mm-hmm. like we keep at it, we keep practicing, we keep scrubbing the window and then it becomes clear. And the idea with this practice is that um, things don't necessarily become only pleasant or only joyful, but we're able to see a lot more clearly things as they are. And then we don't get so wrapped up in it as a result. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, for sure, that's been such a powerful lesson for myself too, of just like being able to witness what's going on in your mind as it's racing at 500,000 miles yeah. an hour, yeah. rather than like you're saying, getting tied up into it. And I can see, you know, loved ones around me who don't have a meditation practice and they just get swept away into mm-hmm. whatever anxiety that your yeah. brain cooks up. Cause it, it's not going to stop. Like your brain, like you're saying, like that's what your brain was wired to do. So it's just like repositioning yourself to be more well suited to weather the storm, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's not going to stop. And so it's also partly like, can I see my thoughts as thoughts and then choose which ones I want to invest in, react to, respond to, et cetera? Mm -hmm. (sighs) I feel calmer just talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So one of the biggest questions I've had too, and you know, in flipping through your book, the first half of the book kind of explains how meditation works. And then the second half is all practices like mm-hmm. do this. And then this is like, that's it, you know, <laughs> but what is the, would you say is the difference between mindfulness and meditation or are they one in the same? So that's, it's a great question. And they're they're often used interchangeably, but they're not actually the same thing. So mindfulness is this quality of attention that we bring to anything we're doing in the present moment. And this quality of attention is non-judgmental and is curious, is interested, is kind, etc. Meditation is the techniques that help us cultivate mindfulness in our daily life. But meditation is not just about mindfulness. We can see there's prayer meditation in other traditions. In the yogic tradition, there's a whole other array of of meditation techniques. And so meditation is really just about the techniques that in this case of mindfulness meditation help us cultivate that quality of mindfulness. Mm. Yeah. So you can be practicing mindfulness and not necessarily be sitting on a cushion. Yeah. And that is, I think, another one of my most favorite things about this practice is that it's so transportable and accessible wherever we go. So you mentioned like this anxiety and like the mind moving a mile a minute. And it's like, can mindfulness in that moment can be, I am anxious. There are many thoughts. There's agitation in my mind. So that is a moment of mindfulness. When we're rushing to the next appointment, can we be aware of rushing? And that's mindfulness. And it doesn't, again, necessarily mean we have to like what's happening, but it's just that we're aware of what's happening as it's happening. Yeah. Making that like intentional choice to be a witness rather than be like unplugged, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And so, and then that in and of itself just kind of helps us either continue what we're doing with more awareness. And I like to say with more wisdom because each moment of mindfulness helps to cultivate or plant the seed for wisdom to arise as well. Mm. 
Mm, wisdom. <laughs> now, um, I, so I posted the question on my stories. I, you know, I told everyone I was talking with you today and I was like, what do you want to know? And a lot of my community is similar in that we are all overachiever perfectionists. Just a little bit. <laughs> so where does like, like, what's the minimum dose, would you say, as far as to get the benefits, like you're saying, of finding this calm of feeling more grounded, yes. being able to stay more present? Like, what do I do? How much do I have to do it? <laughs> like, what would that look like? So it's interesting because you said the minimum dose say for the benefits. And I know there are a lot of studies out there that say minimum 45 minutes a day. And I mm. think that could be something nice to aspire to. But what happens, especially I like to think of myself as a recovering perfectionist, not all the way there, <laughs> but you know, um, yeah. I think that once we hear something like 45 minutes a day to get benefits, then we, we hunker down and we become fixated on getting to that 45 minutes. But yeah. what happens is that we don't realize that there's like hardness or some rigidity that is coming along with us, even though we're trying to do something as wholesome as meditation. And so I feel like fixating on a number isn't actually really helpful because when that happens, what we're doing is we're cultivating not just mindfulness, but this subtle backdoor quality of striving. And mm. I feel like meditation is one of those paths where it is not linear. It's not as if like the more you do, the better you get. It is completely wild of a ride. And once we stop striving, a lot of times that's when we also receive benefits because there's a lot more spaciousness. In the striving, it's almost as if we think we know what we're looking for and based on a list we Googled or something like that. <laughs> but then we tend to miss out on all of the other benefits that mindfulness has to offer because we're so fixated on getting to that goal. Mm -hmm. But then, so if it's not 45 minutes, then what is it? And I think I really believe in something is way better than nothing. And what is that mm -hmm. something? Well, how much time feels challenging, but still joyful. So some days it'll be 20 minutes, other days it'll be five, 10, 15, you know, so it's not always the same just because we change day to day. We are humans and we react to the world and the news and things like that. And so we don't always need like the same formula every single time we practice. Yeah. And even, you know, flipping through some of the, the practices in the back half of the book and realizing that, you know, walking meditation and being mm -hmm. present with my dog and not listening to a podcast or being on the phone. Yeah. One thing that I've really, I can't believe it's taken me this long, but just to look up and see the sky, see yeah. the sunset, see the trees. Like I remember a friend posted on social media, this tree. Um, and I was just like, Oh my God, that is beautiful. And I messaged her. I was like, where is that? And she's like, that's in front of your apartment building. And I was oh like, my gosh. Oh my gosh. I've never, ever, ever noticed. Cause I'm always like looking down or like on my yeah. phone or, you know, absorbed into a podcast or something. And so even yeah. that practice of just like, what do I hear? What do I feel? What do I smell? Although it's challenging through a mask, but still yeah. of just being present right here in this moment of being a human on the earth. And like that counts too, you know? Exactly. And I think we've all been mindful, whether we've known it or not. Like when we go on vacation and we look at a beautiful sunset and we're just totally engrossed by it, that is a moment of mindfulness. 
And it's easy to be mindful when a place is new or interesting or whatnot. But I find the hardest places to be mindful is when we have been living in the same place for years and to have that same sort of interest in our surroundings. That's when I feel like mindfulness, um, our practice is the most necessary because it's in our familiar settings that we tend to not be mindful and then we'll react and let our emotions get the better of us or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> it, it, the doldrums, you know, of like this yeah. groundhog day that's been life for the last two, I don't even know how many months anymore. Remember, it was supposed to be two weeks and we would be off the hook. I know, I know. <sighs> but I think too, a lot of like what I'm hearing you say is the intention matters. And your intention can be striving for perfection, which is going to leave you feeling like you're doing it wrong and it's not worth it yeah. and you're just missing out. Or your intention can be to just surrender to that moment or the process or that time yeah. and just see what happens. Yeah. And so, and this, we see this for those who follow any social justice movements, but we're also seeing in racial justice circles, it's not just intention, but also impact. And the Mm. same applies to our meditation practice where we have this intention to receive the benefits of meditation um, without realizing that they're striving there. But then the impact, and I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this actually at the beginning of the book where I say that I didn't realize I was striving and I was just so dedicated to my practice, but my mom and my boyfriend at the time, they came to me at separate times, but they were just like, if you're you're doing all this meditation, but you're so angry at us all the time, or you're so (laughs) impatient. And so what I didn't realize was the impact of the striving. So not realizing that the striving was there, but the impact was that I was holding myself to impossible standards in my meditation practice. And so when the timer went off, that impossible standard was just imposed on everyone around me too. Well, and you bring up too this idea that like what happens in your meditation, it's not just about you and your thoughts. Like I won't say explodes, but like it, it impacts those directly around you and even further. So how can we take our meditation practice and really just like, have it be not so, I don't say selfish, but yeah, like it's not just a selfish practice that I do for myself, but it is something that allows me to show up differently. Yeah. Great question. Because what brings a lot of us, me included to this practice is wanting some sort of relief from the pain that I was feeling in my life, whether it was emotional or physical. And then I think when we stop there, when say suddenly we are getting a good night's sleep, and then we stop practicing or stop, stop going into the teachings and learning more about ourselves or this practice, then it becomes the selfish thing that was totally self-serving. And so I'm really interested in how this practice, this internal practice comes alive in the external world. And so one thing that you mentioned, say, around thoughts is that one thing that in the teachings that we're, we're taught is that thoughts are simply a result of past conditioning. But when this thought arises, do we want to invest in it and believe in it? Or do we want to see the thought, like say a thought that tells us we're unworthy or something hmm. like that? It's Who like everything yeah. that <laughs> me every day. So, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, 
we can either believe this thought and then everything that we do and see will then just be a justification why that thought is right. Or mm-hmm. we can see that thought for this past conditioning that we no longer need to believe. And of course, it's way easier said than done. And it's a slow process, but it's possible. Yeah. And so basically to, to like, if I'm to use less words, it's like, to not believe our thoughts, but to take mm, responsibility, responsibility for them. Responsibility is hard, though. <laughs> yeah, it could feel shameful and embarrassing, especially if the thoughts that sometimes arise are really mm. not in line with our values. Yet they're in us somewhere. For it to have arisen, they're in us somewhere. And so instead of ignoring it, I think it's hard but good to turn towards it so that we know to kind of watch out for any time that thought does arise. Yeah, this just being aware in the mindfulness practice of even just sitting and asking, like, what do I need to know today? Or why do I feel so, you know, fill in the blank? And I've spent a lot of time journaling about that kind of stuff. And there's something about exactly what you're saying. of just like bringing it to the surface and just acknowledging it and then being able to decide, do I want to keep this? Do I want to let it go? And just removing all that, like the shame and secrecy Mm -hmm. from whatever internally we're processing. Exactly. In mindfulness, I don't say this in the book, but there's so many things I love about this practice. One being this kind of formula where when we avoid something, it actually the aversion to that thing (laughs) makes the thing stronger, whatever it is. And with mindfulness, once we become aware of it, if it's something that's not so wholesome, like shame, for example, if we're mindful of our shame, then the shame weakens. And if it's something more wholesome, like we were generous with someone and we were present for the act of generosity and feeling how that person was joyful at our act of generosity then what happens is mindfulness makes that joy stronger or makes Mm -hmm. that which is wholesome stronger. So all that to say is it's uncomfortable to be with a lot of these uncomfortable emotions, yet it's important to be mindful of them because it actually helps to weaken them and weaken their arising in the future as well. Man, now... Where do we start from here? You know, like (laughs) knowing all this stuff and being like, oh my goodness, like that sounds like it's work, but it's work that is so worth it. And I think to be in this human experience and be like full, like a fully fledged human almost, you know, like everything is so much richer. And for like you're saying too, like the highs to be as high, there are going to be lows, but you, you can't just like skate through the middle Mm -hmm. because then you miss all the good stuff, you know? So where do we even begin? Like, how do I make this a habit? Where do I start? Please run my life for me. (laughs) (laughs) There are two things that I would say are necessary before we really begin. One is the, the Pali word. So Pali is almost like Sanskrit. It's the language in which the teachings Mm. of the Buddha were written. And so the word in Pali, sati, S-A-T-I, that is used to, to translate or to come up with the word mindfulness is also translatable as remember or to remember. And so I think that's like the first step to that when we practice mindfulness meditation, the goal is not to be mindful 100% of the time. So speaking to the strivers again out there, um, but to, be, to aim for short moments many times. 
So to, or in other words, to remember as often as we can to be mindful. So it's like a remembering Mm. to be mindful. The second thing is kindness because we're going to forget. That's just how our minds work. We're going to forget to be mindful. We'll continue to mess up. And so can we be kind to ourselves, no matter how many times our mind has wandered or even though we set the intention to be uh, patient in the morning and then two hours later, we, we totally lose it on somebody. It's like, can we, can we be kind no matter what with ourselves? Because often it's like the positive reinforcement, that kindness will keep us coming back to this practice over and over. So I feel like for me, those are like the baseline things that we try to keep in mind as we start this practice. So the kindness and that's the remembering piece. And then after that, it's like, how do we make this a habit? I think just aiming to do it regularly. And what is regular? Well, you decide. Um, I would aim certainly for more than once a week, but it could be four times a week, five times a week. Daily is great, but if that feels more like a chore and it's no longer joyful, then you might need to cut it back to five days or something like that. Mm -hmm. And what is your meditation practice looking like right now? So now after 15 years, I feel more as if I can trust my practice in the sense that I try to practice in the mornings. But if I don't get to it, I trust that I'll get to it at some point in the day when I'm, say, in between Zooms, because Zoom is taking over my life these days, <laughs> or, um, or even just like if I tune in at, in the evening, like, did I sit today? No, I didn't practice today. And then I'll sit up right in bed. So often people think I need to get this cushion and set up this room, etc. And although that's nice, for me, it's not necessary because as soon as I leave my bed in the morning, it's like my mind starts going. And so mm-hmm. I wake up or when I go to bed and I just sit up straight up in bed and, um, and practice there. That like increases the chances that I get to it as opposed to if I needed to go to a different room or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you remove like as many barriers to it actually exactly. happening. It's a lot easier. Exactly. Yeah. And then my practice could be as little as five minutes. And, but, I, uh, but I do always have a lot of informal practice times, but then it could be 10 minutes, 15. But again, I, I follow that rule of like, how long do, should I practice for today in a way that feels joyful, but also slightly challenging? Um, and I decide that before I practice, because if I set my timer and start practicing, and I haven't decided how much time I want to practice for, my whole time on the, on the cushion, as we say, or like in practice, will just be negotiating with myself how long I should practice for. Yeah. <laughs> that too, I've had where this timer, I was like, is it going to go off? Has it gone off? Did, did I set the timer? Is it loud enough? Am I going to hear it? Yeah. I'm like, well, that was very productive. <laughs> I know, I know. Are you at the point now where you are able to just like, well, this is five minutes. I know it's five minutes. Or do you still use like apps or timers or anything like that? I still use apps and timers and I use insight timer because not Mm. only does it have a ton of meditation, guided meditations and teachers and whatnot, but there's the timer part of the app with different sounding bells. So you can choose the bell that the sound that you like. I also sometimes work with interval bells so that one thing that I, I do, and I sometimes suggest to people 
is that if you're dead set on practicing for 20 minutes, but it does not feel joyful, I say maybe cut it to 10 or 15 minutes with the option to continue. And so Mm. what I'll do is I'll set a bell for 15 minutes. And then if I want to stay in practice, I will. But I know that there's another bell at 20 minutes because otherwise one eye will stay open trying to check the time because I'll be like, will I miss my next appointment? Will I show up late, et cetera. So having a timer regardless of how I'm feeling is helpful in just helping me stay off of the timer mind, basically. Yeah, that's just real. And I love too <laughs> that you are keep mentioning about the joy of the practice and actually enjoying what you're doing because I think that that's so important with anything that you're trying to make a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I remember there was this acupuncturist that I was seeing and he just always looked so miserable. And I asked <laughs> him about it and he said he was preparing for like a longer, like intensive meditation retreat. And so he was trying to like increase his tolerance, but he clearly hated it. He even said like, I really don't like doing it. And I was just like, why are you doing this? Because also now you're miserable. And as a, you know, a patient coming here, like I'm feeding off this energy and like, I don't really want to be around you. So stop forcing yourself to do stuff you don't like. Dawn told us we don't have to, so we don't have to anymore. (laughs) y'all. I love that. Yeah. And actually joy. So I mentioned Buddhism because the roots of this practice of mindfulness come from Buddhist meditation. And that's one of the things I teach as well. And the shorthand that people use for Buddhism, they'll say, oh, that's the one where it's like life is suffering, right? And that's one unfortunate way to describe Buddhism. But in the teachings, joy is mentioned way more than all of these like heavier qualities. And I think just generally when we approach spiritual practice, we sometimes give it such a seriousness and then we feel like we need to be serious or look serious or whatever when we're practicing it. But like if anybody has seen someone like the Dalai Lama who is so joyful and light and laughs all the time, Mm -hmm. for me, joy is a necessary doorway into the practice because it also helps us hold all the heaviness that is inevitable in this life as well. So totally. Mm -hmm. Team joy. Yeah. Well, and there's enough things to be bummed about. So might as well. <laughs> it, it's also, you know, isn't it confirmation bias where when you attune your focus to something, you will see more of it. And so yeah. not only doing things you enjoy, but finding joy, even like proclaiming joy on a daily basis, all of yeah. a sudden you walk around and you're like, oh my gosh, that makes me so happy. And that makes me so happy. And that makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So why not? Exactly. And the way that I also say, it's like, fine, you could still have like the mental tendencies to just notice or focus on what is hard or unpleasant, but tuning into joy helps us balance that, that mental habit so that we can get a break sometimes. It's impossible for us to be baking in the unpleasantness of things and not traumatize ourselves to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And so the joy piece really helps to cool the fires, as we sometimes say in Buddhist teachings, or to, to give us a little bit of a reprieve. And for, you know, anyone who's made it this far, who's still like a naysayer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the just like physiological benefits of meditation that should get your butt on a cushion? (laughs) Yeah. So there's the typical list that 
a lot of us know because mindfulness is becoming such a buzzword. So mm-hmm. not only does it help us with, say, decision-making or managing our stress or insomnia, even there's studies out there that it has a positive impact for our blood pressure. For me, it's other benefits that I really enjoy from it is that it helps me tap into my creativity for a long time. And still now, I'm not creative in the classic sense. Like I don't draw or anything like that, but it has helped me. I was like, girl, you just wrote a book. What do you mean you're not creative? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. But it helps me see that in the light or the creativity in whatever I am doing, even if it's answering emails or something like that, I'm able to trust my gut and my intuition a lot more because I find that there's less mental chatter in the way as well. So Mm. that's another positive side effect for me. And also Mm. the playfulness. Um, Mm. Like like we've been mentioning, uh, that perfectionist mind gene is so strong and can be quite debilitating. And it was for me. And I don't think I would be so playful or love myself as much as I do if it wasn't for my meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. and you talk a lot in the book too about the beginner's mind and that sense mm-hmm. of play. And I think too, if if you're able to just start with your meditation practice and bring it into that, it will spill over into other areas as well. Yeah. Because I think I don't that creativity, but a lot of people I've heard from too say, well, I'm not a creative person. And I think that we all at some degree, you know, on some level are inherently creative. And it's just about, Mm -hmm. I think that playfulness and being willing to give yourself that opportunity to experiment and like practicing it in the context of meditation and mindfulness is a great place to start. Exactly. Yeah. I think one of the definitions I'm trying to expand for myself is this definition of creativity. And it's like, I think there's creativity in the way we tidy our homes, decorate the homes. Some of us don't realize we're creative when we buy flowers and put it in a vase and then we kind of like fluff it up. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a moment of creativity. And I think once we're able to recognize that creativity can take many shapes, I think that just gives, again, like to point towards the joy and playfulness that is present already in our lives. And then it's like this cycle that feeds itself. And it's like, oh, mindfulness helped me see this and cultivate this. And then it's like, we want to practice more. And then it keeps just kind of fueling that fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if anything, for those of you listening, again, we have the permission to play when it comes to our mindfulness practice. And I think also almost like a nod to your inner child of doing nothing, right? It's like an intentional doing nothing, but we don't get to do that anymore as adults because we're too busy, even on Zoom calls. (laughs) Yeah. Because of capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so in the book, there are 50 meditations that really cover many doorways into this practice. So there's, you know, formal practices like sitting on a cushion But then there's like a hiking meditation, for example. There's sleep meditations, eating meditations. So there's just so many ways that we can practice cultivating these qualities of mindfulness that will lead to also joy and playfulness and creativity. We just don't often know what they are. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I was like, oh, what? Oh, wow. And I know I have some <laughs> students too, who really like, you know, sleep meditations. And so they'll do that before bed and fall asleep. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, but try the other stuff too. <laughs> Cause yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. I think that's part of it, It's, it's just like, you know, exercise as well. Like, you know, maybe running is your jam too, but like strength training is cool also. So like make sure yeah. you have variety in your play as well. Exactly. We don't need to fit ourselves to suit a certain practice, I believe, but rather what is life like right now for us? And then what practice could support us given what's going on? That's more mm-hmm. my approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it'll change and grow as you do too. Exactly, yeah. Oh man, I feel like I need to go sit and meditate. But also, okay, <laughs> to your point as well of, of like that hustle and that busyness being a part of capitalism, I did an episode a couple of weeks ago about napping and I didn't realize how rooted in capitalism, which is also in itself racist, that, that hustle culture and just go, 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 go. And if you're not constantly working and driving yourself into the ground, then you are failing. But the shift in giving myself permission to like take a nap. And also, I mean, to this idea of beginner's mind and ease, which you've just been talking about, I realized, oh, wait, I was kind of doing that as well. I lay down. If I fall asleep, it must mean I need to sleep. If I don't, then, you know, let me just let my mind be. But like not showing up to the practice with an agenda has been so freeing, like unbelievably so. Exactly. I think that you hit the nail on the head where it's like, showing up without that agenda. Because Mm -hmm. for example, we could have an intention, like we want a little bit of calm in our lives. The make or break sometimes it's how attached are we to that outcome? And so sometimes we're so attached that we then say that I'm a bad person if we don't actually reach that outcome. And I think that's the difference with this practice is that we could have these aspirations, but not be so attached where then it'll ruin our day if we don't, if we don't reach that level of calm or something like that. And so I feel like this practice has really helped me see phenomena, see that I can't like show me that I can't control everything and that it's okay. And that Mm. I'm, I'm not a bad person regardless, or that I'm not less than. And so capitalism conditions us to, in the way that um, we need to keep doing in order to keep earning our worth. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this practice um, debunks that and like resting and napping movements also that we, we are perfect as we are. We're not broken. And so we don't really need to fix ourselves by doing more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And doing less helps you to find that inner knowing and that inner voice that you were speaking about too, exactly. of being able to trust your intuition. I didn't realize how disconnected I was from that until I started sitting in meditation and practicing mindfulness regularly. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, like this doesn't feel right. I'm not going to go towards that decision or that, Mm -hmm. you know, business decision for me has been super, super impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of times we're like, I should, or it's what I call survival booking. We don't, we don't trust that we'll get that same invitation or we think we're, we're replaceable or whatnot. So we say yes when we don't have the bandwidth to actually follow through. So this practice has helped me trust more, just generally trust that when I say no, that it's fine. Trust Mm -hmm. that if I set aside 10 minutes in the middle of my day when emails are piling up, it's also fine. But I go in and out. Like sometimes I'm like, is it really fine? 
And, and that's, the, <laughs> that's the conditioning and the pull of this productivity myth. And that's the remembering piece, remembering like, no, I actually don't need to believe in that thought. So, yes. Well, and I was going to say too, if the world is even 1% as abundant as the number of thoughts running through my head, it is a very, (laughs) very abundant place, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There is more than enough for all of us. Yeah. Now, since you did mention camper vans, (laughs) you guys have a camper van? No. So... COVID compliance. Mm -hmm. We got married in July, despite it looking like our original vision. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then because we couldn't really travel, but we want to do something anyway, we rented a camper van, which now has gotten me completely obsessed, um, Mm -hmm. especially because if working from home is going to be a long-term thing, which I feel like it will be, or it'll be a large part of our world moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we can do it from anywhere. Just get a really good router and hit the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause then I was going to ask what maybe in your camper van, I don't know the most interesting <laughs> place that you've meditated. Oh, that's a good one. I feel like What's coming to mind is, so I traveled through Northeastern Quebec where we have, so I'm in Canada for those who don't know, and um, we have fjords here. And Mm. so, yeah, it's really stunning. And an image that's coming to mind is that we parked this van in a national park and then we hiked up two hours and we were at this like intersection of a couple of these fjords and it was just really beautiful. And we, we sat there. And what I really enjoyed with that particular meditation was we didn't close our eyes. So that's a thing that people think we have to close our eyes to practice when we don't. And so we were just really taking in the sight because it was just so breathtaking and then feeling the breeze on our skin. So I'm talking about my partner and I um, feeling the hard bench under my butt, which was hard, slightly unpleasant, but also a relief (laughs) for my legs after the two hour hike. So it was really just taking in my surroundings. Yeah, that was really, really exciting. Yeah. Mm. And that's honestly like one of my favorites is being in nature and just like sitting there and pausing and taking it all in and like the abundance of the universe and world that we're talking about. Like I feel it so strongly in nature in situations like that. And that just sounds glorious. I need to go get a camper van now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And I just love with camper van. It's like, it does take a certain amount of mindfulness because You're Mm -hmm. living in such small quarters and everything needs maneuvering. And Mm -hmm. I think it's easy, at least for me, it was easy to lose my patience with my partner because I was like, no, this is how it should be done. (laughs) And so keeping that in check. And so it's not always easy, but it was just amazing to be able to apply the mindfulness in those moments too, of course. Mm Well, and I'm just picturing too, that you just open the back doors of the van and there's like beautiful trees and fjords and, and then you just meditate and like Instagram celebrity right there. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm just missing the long wavy hair, you know? No, no, no. Cause your hair is so cool. I love the way you part it. You're fine. You got it. You got it. Well, I would love to talk to you for hours and hours and hours a day, but I know we're all Zoom fatigued and maybe with our camper vans that I don't have either, but you know, I'll, I'll manifest this, that we will meet up somewhere in a national park with our camper vans. When borders are open, because our borders mm-hmm. are close to each other right now. Well, let's be honest. Your border is close to us. <laughs> 
You don't want me. It's okay. (laughs) Thanks for the call out. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) But where can people find you on the internet if they want to come read more? I say stalk you, but that's so invasive. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So through my website, donmauricio.com is where I list all of my events. and, And when I say events, just when I'm teaching. And so this fall, I'm going to be teaching a bunch of online retreats for anybody who wants to, maybe if you have a practice already, go a little bit more deeply into it. And if you don't have a practice, oh, but I don't know if folks in your network are mostly on the West Coast, but twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings at 7.30 in the morning Eastern time. I do. (laughs) (laughs) If your insomnia is keeping you up, you can join (laughs) me um, for a 15-minute guided practice that I do through my Instagram live. And Mm. so, yeah. Okay, cool. And you're just, you're at Dawn Mauricio on Instagram. I'll put it in the description too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, everyone should run out now or maybe go to your favorite small book retailer and get your book, which again, I'll link into the show description as well, which has been, even if you have experience with meditation and mindfulness or you don't, like, as I know, you know, because you've made it to this point in this conversation, Dawn knows her (laughs) stuff um, and presents it in such a way that's like really, really just lovely, just like you are. Your book is lovely. And thank you for creating it. You creative person, you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for just your support. It's just, as you and I texted, I was just like, you know, I walk around with this in my head all the time that I easily would convince myself that this is common knowledge or I'm not adding anything special or new. And so it's really sweet hearing how it's actually landing for for folks. So thank Mm -hmm. you. Oh yeah. No, everything. The world needs to hear the special thing that only you can teach, which is like what Marie Forleo says too, which is so true. So yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for spending time hanging out with us today. You're the bomb and I can't wait until our borders open (laughs) and I can come see you. (laughs) Yes. Come here. Come here. Don't you want to just like run off and meditate? after listening to Dawn talk. I hope you enjoyed learning from Dawn and hearing from her today as much as I did talking to her. She really just has a super grounded sense about her. And I'm so glad that she not only wrote this book to share how you too can start to incorporate and infuse mindfulness and meditation into your day to day, but also that she was willing to sit down and take the time to talk and share with us. So I want to hear from you. Knowing what you know now, what are your thoughts on meditation? Are you going to go meditate? Are you like, I've already been doing it? Um, Honestly, I'm telling you, her book, even if you have a regular meditation practice, because of all of the mindfulness exercises and meditations in the back, not even half the book, it's more like two thirds of the book, there is something for everyone, even if you are advanced or a beginner. And like we talked about in our interview, that beginner's mindset and approaching things with like this childlike curiosity is really going to serve you well. So let me know, hit me up, send me any questions you might have. Let me know if you enjoyed this interview. You can send me a DM or tag me on Instagram. I'm at Hala Fromala. You have Dawn's information. Definitely go ahead and tag her and let her know what you thought about this interview as well. I know she would really appreciate that. <laughs> 
And as always, you can call the Body Nerd Hotline and leave me a voicemail. Don't worry. I'm not going to answer. It's not going to be weird and awkward. You just leave me a voicemail. Easy peasy. That number is 818-396-6501. And don't forget that show notes, fun links, free downloads, access to the Body Nerds group, and everything else lives over at aewellness.com slash podcast. And thank you for taking the time to listen today. I hope that you got some fun movement in, or at least you got something planned, which I know is a lot more challenging as we enter in the hot summer months. And I say that because we have humidity here in LA today, and I just don't know what to do with myself. (laughs) So if you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another episode or leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are currently listening on. It helps the robots and the algorithms and all of those things. But also, I just, I appreciate it so, so very much. The other thing, if you're not into public displays of affection, I get it. You can just share this with somebody who needs to hear it today. So here's to asking better questions, moving more, being more mindful, and getting nerdy. And thank you for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool. And you, my friend, can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Pain stops you in your tracks, and bodywork is one of the fastest and most effective ways to deal with it. I've put together a free PDF with the six places you need to roll right now for quick relief. Plus, the reason why what you've tried so far has only given you a temporary fix. So whether it's back pain, plantar fasciitis, neck tension, shoulder pain, or tight hips, I've got you covered. And when you download it now, I'll also send you some video demos to get you started even faster. Head on over to aewellness.com slash bodywork, that's B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K, to get started today.